let's dive into the Word of God. First uh, John chapter number two, we're in a new series entitled Awakening. And an awakening is that aha moment that we have with God, where God shows us something that we hadn't previously seen or noticed. And so in this series, we're going through the book of First John. We covered chapter one last week, and this week we're going to be in chapter two. Now, the backstory to this passage of Scripture is the fact that this church has been going through some troubled times. They've had some people leave, and they have some people that are now teaching some false truth. And so John is now writing to them. And so that's what this series is kind of based around. John is writing to them that they would kind of get back to some core things, some core things about the, the church, about the work of God, and what God wants to do. And so we believe that God wants to do some great things through our church, but sometimes we we fall asleep to those greater things that God has. And we want God to awaken us to the things that he has for us. Because God wants to do great things in us, and he wants to do great things through us. God has great plans for our church and great plans for you. Uh, my brother Caleb and I, we share a few things in common. And one of the things we share in common is that uh, we both went to the same college. And we grew up in Fresno, but yet we would drive to Lancaster. And we take the 99 to the 58 over the Tehachapi. Uh, some of you are thinking, yeah, I know the 58. I know the way that Tehachapi. Some of you, anybody, you know the 58? Yeah, and most people know it because that's the way they take to go to Vegas, sinners. And um, so, like, uh, that's, that's, that's how they know it. But that I know it because I would go to Bible college, spiritual stuff, not Vegas, heathens, and what kind of church is it? No, I'm just kidding. And, uh, uh, you know, so I'd go, and my brother buys a brand new Toyota Camry, brand new Toyota Camry, and he's all proud of this car. He owns it two weeks, two weeks, all right? Beautiful Toyota Camry, but he worked a night job. He buys his car. On the way back, he decided one night after his job to drive home, right after he worked a full shift. So on his way home, of course, what happens? He falls asleep at the wheel, and... Uh, he wakes up the next morning in his beautiful Toyota Camry. And he wakes up to the sound of the highway patrolman tapping on the side door of his Toyota Camry. But he noticed something unusual. This highway patrolman is upside down. He's like, what in the world? What is wrong with this guy? And then he realizes something. The highway patrolman's not upside down. I'm upside down. And he had slumped over, fallen asleep, and he's hanging upside down in his Toyota Camry. And how we found out about this whole story is he climbed out of the car, and he was okay. The car obviously was not okay. They tipped the car over to put it on the tow truck, and there he finds his old Nokia 5813. Remember those Nokias? They were indestructible, right? Man, nothing wrong with it. I'm telling you what. We should make cars out of whatever they make Nokias out of. That's, that's what we should do, okay? It's like the black box on airplanes. Why don't we make airplanes out of the same stuff, like the black box survives, why don't we just wrap the whole thing in that airplane, and stuff like that, and uh, what happened was, my brother fell asleep, and I think too often, we can look at our own lives, and we can fall asleep to some things that are happening. I know there's people that they can fall asleep in a relationship. They can fall asleep in their marriage. They can fall asleep at their job, and they just, they're just kind of going on autopilot, just kind of letting things go by with never engaging, never waking up to the things that God wants to do in them and through them and for them. And so John is writing to this church. And let's pick it up in 1 John chapter 2 and let's read a few verses. It'll be up on the screens if you didn't bring a copy of God's word with you. Verse number 1. The Bible says, my little children. Isn't that just an awesome way John starts out? 
the relationship there. He says, my little children. John at this time, scholars say, is anywhere between 80 and 90 years old. He's the last living apostle. And he's writing this to this church. And he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. By this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Wow. Hey, we started in verse number one, we're talking this fatherly relationship, this loving relationship, and all of a sudden, just a few verses later, He's saying, whoever says that they know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. This is kind of strong for a second here. What is he talking about? He's saying the fact that there are people that are saying you can know God but not have to keep his commandments. Now, the commandments isn't the Ten Commandments he's talking about. He's going to explain what he's talking about in just a moment here. He's talking about the new commandment that Jesus gave in the Gospels. The new commandment was thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like unto it. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what he's talking about. So really what he's saying in this passage, he's saying there are people that say they know God and have God, but they don't love. And here he's saying, that's not true. That's a lie. He goes on to say in verse number four, and the truth is not in them. Hold on. Now, what he's saying that the truth is not in them He's going deeper because in John 14, verse number six, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So what he's saying is they don't even have Jesus inside of them. It's a pretty harsh statement. We've, we've taken a turn in the relationship. Verse number five, but whoever keeps his word truly has the love of God perfected in him. By this we know we are in him. Whoever says he remains in him ought to walk as he walked. Brothers, I am writing no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which, I, which you have heard from the beginning. Yet a new commandment I'm writing to you, which holds true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light but hates his brother is in darkness even until now. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whosoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I want to back up to verse number four and he's saying whoever says Last week, we said there are people in life that say one thing and do another. And we said people that say one thing and do another, that's called hypocrisy. This week, he's saying that there are people that are saying things that aren't true. You've ever had somebody say something to you that wasn't true? Come on, we all have, right? Now, it's interesting. Today, we kind of live in an interesting phenomenon. There's a little term that I'm starting to hear ever since our last political election. The little term is this, fake news. How many ever heard the little term fake news? Oh, a few of you have actually heard this. Actually, all of us have heard this, right? It just kind of seems like everything today is fake news. That's fake news. It used to be that you would go through the grocery store and they had that little weird magazine, you know, Bat Baby Born, you know, or, you know, uh, Kitten Born with Ten Heads, you know, that was what was fake news. Now, apparently, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, they're all fake news. It's all fake news. Hurricane Irma and all that. It's all fake. Fake news everywhere. Fake news. But what John is actually writing about is actually fake news. He's saying, hey guys, 
Hey, you can't say you have Jesus, but don't have love. They're liars. That's fake news. You can't say that you have Jesus, but then live without love. The two do not go together. And as I was researching fake news, I was doing... It's interesting because I was trying to find the truth about fake news. And it's really hard to find, to find a website about true fake news. And I thought, is this a new phenomenon or is it an old phenomenon? And I began to find articles about fake news and that it's been around as long as the 1800s, where you would have newspapers writing about fake news. And I believe that in the church, it's nothing new as well. Because last week, we were talking about there are things we say and we don't follow up on. This time, there are things that people say to us that aren't true. So we need to crash bad conversation. You say, what do you mean? Today, there's a verbal assault that affects our attitude. There's a war of words that's happening. There's this assault of this chatter. There's these words that are flying at us. There are things that are coming at us. There are things that are spoken. And there's things we interpret. There's these things we think about. There's these things that we hear. And so this morning, we need to be on guard and we need to deal with these things because there's a war going on inside of us and it's the war of words and there's always someone out there taking the truth and twisting it. And so in this passage, John is writing to a church. We don't know which church, but this church has had a church split. Some people have left and now they're teaching false truths that you can claim to have Jesus, but you don't have to love anybody. Matter of fact, they take it a step farther. They say they can claim to be a Christian, but yet hate their brother. And he's saying those two don't go together. You can't claim the name of Jesus, but yet hate somebody else. So when a white supremacist gets up and says, I hate somebody who's of a different color, they cannot claim that, guess what, I came to that conclusion biblically. No, that that does not fly in the face of God. God hates that. God hates bigotry. God hates the fact that somebody would rise up and say, I'm better than somebody else. No, no, no. You can't get up and say, I have Jesus inside of me and hate somebody else. But yet this group of people was teaching that you could. So how do we combat this? How do we, how do we deal with this? Or I could say it like this. How do we quiet the riot that's in our heads? You see what I mean? Because here's what happens. There are voices that constantly go through your mind like they go through my mind. And they say things like this. No one will ever know. You can get away with it. This one won't hurt you. You deserve it. Words that just come through our minds. Or there's this. You're so dumb. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you said that. Oh, I bet you feel like a jerk right now and you deserve it. These words just start flying through our minds. The other day I was at Costco and I was with my wife Jane and uh, we saw somebody from the church and they were working there and uh, I'm trying to be more loving, more sociable and I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a stiff kind of guy, I guess, just very driven. And so I was like, hey, I gotta work on this. I gotta be more loving. And so I went in to give the guy the hug, right? And uh, he was facing me, but just as I go in for the hug, he does a quick turn and all of a sudden I'm hugging his back and I'm like, oh, Oh, what is this? But there's no saving it at that point. I'm doing the back hug, and he's like, excuse me? Like, what is, is this new? And I'm like, mm, you know, like, what do you do? There's no recovery. And then there's my wife, and if you've ever seen our Facebook Live recap, she's just, 
just shaking. You know, the cart, the basket shaking. She can't contain it. She was like, I bet you feel dumb. Shut up. You know, it was just, I can't, there's no recovering from that. And in my mind, I'm like, I never want to see that person again. I'm so embarrassed, right? And so our mind, well, all of a sudden, it'll start to play jokes on us. And instead of saying, wait a minute, this doesn't define me. It may, this, and we let these things define us. We let these words fly at us. So John, he's going to write and he's going to deal with it. And so in verse number four, you say, well, how do I deal with these things that come at me? How do I deal with this, this chatter, these things that come at me that's just not true? I want you to do what John does. But here's something you need to understand about John. John is anywhere from 80 to 90 years old. He's the last living apostle. And this church wants to learn about Jesus. Now, when it comes to John and Jesus, they had a very strong relationship, very close bond. Jesus didn't pick his, uh, we can't pick our family, but we can pick our friends. And Jesus picks John to be his friend. And John and Jesus are very close. And so when this church wants to learn about Jesus, they go to John. And John's going to tell him about Jesus. John's going to teach him about a relationship with Jesus. And so I want us to learn that when we get these conversations that are coming at us, maybe in our mind or from someone else, what do we do? Let's do what John does. First of all, he confronts it. He confronts it. Verse number four, he says, whoever says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. He starts off real loving, real friendly. But then when it comes to error, he says, no, we're going to confront this. You see, many times some things will come at you that you need to confront, but oftentimes we won't confront it. We won't. You know, Saturday nights, I typically, about 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, I kind of go into a mode, and people just kind of know in my home, just give him a little bit of space. I'm kind of getting into a weird little mode. I call it PMS, premissive syndrome, and it's just one of those things where I just kind of need my space, and uh, I have three kids and a dog, and so I don't have a big house, and so I'll sit down at the kitchen table, and I'll pull out my notes, and I'll pull out my iPad, and I'll pull out my Bible, and I'll start prepping for Sunday. I've got the message pretty much worked out, but I just need to spend more time in it. I like to try to memorize my messages as much as possible, and man, my kids will be out there playing. They're, they're normal kids, which means they're kicking, hitting, fighting, screaming. Normal stuff. Don't judge me. I know your kids are the same. And so uh, they're out there and, uh, you know, my wife is wonderful. She's sweet. She's in another room. And uh, so it's just them there. And then there's the dog. And uh, it's one of those things where I'm just kind of like, it doesn't faze me. You say, why? Because my phone came with something. It came with a little headset. It came with some earbuds. Man, I pulled those out. And I pop those in my head, and I plug them in, and I grab the side of my phone, and I up the volume a little bit. Yeah, I can't hear it. My kids could be yelling, screaming. Things could be exploding. And I'm just... (laughs) That's just what I'm doing. Why? Because I'm in the zone. It's just me and God. Everything else is blocked out. I've just blocked everything out. It's just me and the Lord in that moment. And I think some of you, you need to learn. You need to learn how to say, you know what? All these voices, all these conversations, I know how to block it out. They call it noise-canceling headphones. I call it the Word of God. The Bible says, your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against God. The Bible also says, take captive every evil thought that exalts itself against the works of God. We need to take these things captive. 
Your mind is a battleground, but too many times I see Christians losing ground on that battleground because they're not taking these thoughts captive and they'll bring themselves down. You'll be at a stoplight and all you're doing is you're thinking, I gave him a back hug. A, a back hug. What is a back hug? I'm a dude giving another dude a bed. Just, oh, you know how many people are at Costco? I bet church members are laughing at me. I bet it's on Instagram with this back hug thing. I'm never going to live this down. And now, now I'm going to be the back hug guy and I don't want to be that guy. And you're sitting at the stoplight and you're getting mad and you got a mad face and you're just like angry. And instead of saying, wait, I'm going to take these captive. He didn't know what happened, and I didn't know what happened, really cared. And so it's one of those things where you just say, hey, I'm going to confront this. So stop waiting for God to fix it and face it. Many times we look and we're saying, God, I, I just fix this. And God's saying, hey, I gave you all the tools. I gave you everything to face it and to fight it. It's up to you. And many times we want God to just step in and fix it. And God's saying, no, 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 confront it. Because this is going to help you grow to overcome this. There's things in your life that you're just saying, I wish somebody would do something about this. And God's saying, I wish you would do something about this. Man, I wish somebody would do something about the church or do something there. I wish you would do something. Oh man, I wish somebody in my neighborhood would just step up. Uh, Maybe you should step up. I just wish somebody in this home would just do something. Maybe you should. God is calling you to say, you know what? I'm not going to be passive. I'm going to get engaged. I'm going to face this. I'm going to fight this, okay? So there's these these conversations. So how are you dealing with it? So stop waiting for God to fix it and do what you're told is to face it, to fight it. Also, stop listening to the loudest voice and start listening to the right voice. You see, that's what John's saying to this church. He's saying, hey guys, just because this group is getting loud doesn't mean they're right. And I think I see that. You ever met that person? The louder they get, they think their argument is more convincing. And you're like, no, you're just bullying. It's a, you're not any more convincing. Just because the decibels go up doesn't mean I'm more convinced. It just means I'm more frustrated and I'm more annoyed with you right now. That's all this means. And so sometimes loud people will... Get followers, simply because people are intimidated. And our culture today, it seems like they've turned up the volume on some things, haven't they? Seems like they've turned up the volume of what they think is right and wrong. Seems like they've turned up the volume on what they think you should do, how they think you should parent, how they think you should leave a marriage, or how long they think you should be married or should not be married, and what you should do before you're married, and, and what you should not do, and the things that you should drink, things you should not drink, the things you should try and things you should not try. It seems like culture is just like, we'll set the temperature, and we're stepping back and saying, wait a minute, we don't listen to things that are just loud, we listen to the voice that is right. So who are we listening to? I say it like this. You might want to write it down. The lies you believe will determine the life you experience. The lies you believe will determine the life you experience. There's so many lies that are flying past us these days, and we just don't take it captive. We don't even think about it. We don't even, we don't even stop to think about what we're thinking about. Isn't that the truth? That there are so many things you're thinking, and I know right now it's quiet. That means you're convicted. It means like something's going on right now. And it's all of a sudden, it's, God is saying, hey, let's deal with what's in your mind. Let's fight this battleground. And John's dealing with it. And John's saying, hey, let's deal with this issue that's in our life. Let's develop this. You see, as long as we believe a lie, we're not free to live the truth. Some of you want to go in freedom. You want to walk closer to God. And God is saying, hey, you believe this lie about yourself, about that person. Some of you, somebody can look at you in a funny way and you can get offended. And that person didn't mean to do anything. They, matter of fact, they weren't even looking at you. They were just staring. And you happened to walk across the line of sight and you got offended. And you're like, I'm offended at that person. I'm never going back to that church. They offended me. They don't even know they offended you. 
They, they were just staring. They were just bored in church, all right? And they were just staring, all right? I see the drool, okay? And you got offended. I should be offended. They're asleep, all right? You, they looked at you funny. Or something, you, you could just wear an outfit, and all of a sudden, you thought you looked real good in that outfit. You thought you looked real cute in that outfit. You thought it made you look real good. And somebody looks at you, and they come to you, and, mm. and you're like, what? what? Hey, hey, hey. No, no, I saw the eyebrows go up. I saw the eyes go down and up, and then the eyebrows went up. Don't know. You got to, th- what's going on? Tell me, tell me. You got something wrong with this outfit? Man, it took me a long time. This is like the sixth outfit I put on today, all right? And that's just the guys. The ladies is way more, all right? Yeah, I know you, man. You're all trying to hide behind, like, I don't change a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. And we can get so easily offended instead of confronting those things. We get so passive. And so John is saying, no, let's confront these things. You see, your future depends on the decision to confront the lies in your life. Let's confront them. It's amazing. People have lied to us. You've had people lie to you. You've had people hurt you with their lies. But can I say this? Nobody lies to you like you lie to you. I'll start that diet next week. I'm going to have me a good weekend. No, you're not. That's a lie. Just call it out. And if you're married to that person, say, that's a lie. You ain't starting no diet. You're starting a seafood diet. That's the diet you're starting. You see the food, you're going to eat the food. That's, that's the only diet I see around here. You're like Whole30, I'm about to stick this Whole30 chicken in my, in my mouth. That's about what I'm going to do. That's the only Whole30 that's happening to me right now. And uh, uh, so we, we tell ourselves these lies. I'll start the diet or I'll live for God later. I'll give to God when I get a raise or I'll spend more time with the family when I, things slow down at work. And they're all these lies. They're just these lies. And we lie to ourselves more than we lie to anybody else and more than anybody else lies to us. And so it's time we say, you know what? I'm going to confront these lies. I'm going to confront it. We're doing a Financial Peace University class. And that, lie, that class is all about confronting the lies we tell ourselves. It's a little debt. A little debt's okay. Oh, it's a little bit of interest. My wife, she finally got her payback. I talked to everybody in the class. I was like, hey, my wife taught the class. How did it go? They were like, oh, we know about you. What? What? Hold on. What'd she say? And I, there's going to be a come to Jesus moment in my house. I'm telling you what. This afternoon, you think there's a hot sermon now. It's going on later. Later. We're going to get a little altar call and everything. We're going to go old school. No, just kidding. But it, it's one of those things where we just don't want to confront. We don't want to deal with these things. We don't want to look that we have a spending problem. Or we have a spiritual problem. Or we have these issues in our lives. We don't want to confront them. And it's time that we say, you know what? John confronted them. But let's continue on. But then John comes to verses 5 and 6. But whoever keeps his word truly has the love of God perfected in him. By this we know we are in him. Whoever says, as, as says he remains in him ought to walk as he walked. Then God confront, John confronts, but then he confirms. He gets back into this fatherly mode. He gets back into this, this kind mode. See, there are some things where we need to confront, but there's also things we need to confirm in our life. Some of you, you have a very hard time about being accepted and taking a compliment and being appreciated. It just, when somebody says, hey, you did a good job at work, you're like, well, I could have done this, could have done that, and stop that. How about you take the compliment? Instead of tearing yourself down and you're thinking it's a false humility, no. It's revealing that there's actually a deeper insecurity in your life is what it's revealing. Instead, say, wow, man, I really appreciate the compliment. That really helps. It's the hardest thing. After a Sunday morning that I, that I, that I, that I teach a message or I preach a message, sometimes my wife will come and she'll be like, hey, that was really good. And I'll say, well, yeah, but this didn't work and that didn't happen. She's like, just stop. Why? Just take the compliment. You know what happens? We don't confirm. We're constantly looking for 
this validation. And when somebody does, we don't know what to do with it. We're looking for this, this, this validation or we're looking to be approved. And instead of understanding that when somebody does, John is like confirming. He's saying that when God's work, when God's voice is there, God's voice here is a voice of acceptance. And God's acceptance doesn't need you to do any activity. God just says, hey, I accept you. Which means I don't have to keep performing. I don't have to keep doing something to earn it. He says, whoever keeps his word truly has a love of God perfected in him. It's, perf- it's perfected. He's saying, hey, he confirmed these things. You know, uh, there's a TV show that popularized the blind auditions. It's called The Voice. You know, a singer gets up there. You don't know who it is. You don't know what they look like. And all of a sudden, they turn around. You know, we think that's a new idea, a new concept. But the blind audition's been around for ages. You know why? Because in the music world, it was very chauvinistic. And so what they would have to do was they'd have to have a female come in because these men would say, nobody can play the tuba like a man can play the tuba. These are the kind of discussions these guys would have. They say, men know how to play a tuba, the trombone, or the French horn, or the violin, or any instrument. That's about the extent of my knowledge of the instruments that are in those bands. And so, band, it's not even a band, it's an orchestra. (laughs) Whatever. Stop it. Back up. Back hug. And uh, so, it's just... um, is, is, you're throwing me off. And uh, so what they would do is they would have these blind additions for the females. Because these guys that led these orchestras, as soon as they found out it was a female, they were like, they can't play. So what they would do is they would have a curtain, wouldn't get the person's name, they would just ask the person to play. The person wouldn't say anything, they'd just begin to play. And then they would say, before they pull back the curtain, they would tell that person if they got the job. And that's the only way for women. Even today in an orchestra, they say the average orchestra is only about 30% women. 30%, even today, it's still a very chauvinistic uh, society. And I think sometimes we feel like we've got to play for God and we've got to get his acceptance. But we can cancel the audition. God says, I accept you. God confirms us. He doesn't need us to, to do anything. When he says, keep his commands here, what he's saying, he's saying, hey, just love God and love others. That's the command. It's not just to keep the Sabbath and don't steal and don't kill. No, he's saying, just love God and love other people. So when he, he confirms these things, so what is helping you? You see, activity doesn't bring God's acceptance. We need to understand that these thoughts that come through and we're thinking, well, I need to get God's acceptance. God is saying, no, I already accept you. Thirdly, but then in verse nine through 11, I want you to see this. John brings up a concern. He says, I'm concerned about something. He's saying, there are some people that they say that it's okay to name the name of Christ, but hate somebody. He said, that's, that's so wrong because they don't understand the love of God. They don't understand that God has poured out his love into their hearts. They don't understand that, that God loves them so deeply and so thoroughly and so much. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, I'm having a hard time loving my spouse. I'm having a hard time loving my children. I'm having a hard time loving that coworker or that neighbor. And you say, it's just not my nature to be loving. And I would say, you're right. It's not our nature to be loving. I have three children. And people come up to me and they'll say, oh, children give back way more than they take. Liars, no, no. They take way more. They take, take from six in the morning to 10 o'clock at night. They be taking everything. Everything they can take and they keep taking. They just take. That's what they do. We are takers by nature. We just take. I got a seven-month-old and he is cute, but he just does this with his hands. Anything he can grab, he's just trying to take. That's all he's trying to do. Just take, just take. And I got a wife, just take. I'm just kidding. That's just my little dig. And uh, I'm on the couch tonight. So, but 
we understand that when it comes to love, John says, I'm concerned because you don't understand the power of how love works. He says, love is perfected. What does that mean? Love first flows down to us because later in John chapter 4, he calls us beloved. John was the beloved disciple. And then John uses the same term that God used for him. John uses it for us that we are loved. Some of you say, I have a hard time loving because you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. We just brought John on staff. I couldn't go into the parking lot and be like, oh, it's the nicest car. Excellent. Hey, John, that Beamer, that's yours, man. He'd be like, sweet. But it's not mine to give. I can't give what I don't have. And anybody for a while can be loving, but some of you, you feel like the marriage has ran out of love. I just don't have love for my neighbor. The relationship with God, I just ran out. For a couple years, my family had the idea to live in Madera, California, which is just outside of Fresno. And they didn't live right in Madera off the 99. They decided to live in Madera Ranches was off the 41, which isn't real neighborhoods, not real city. It's like you'd buy property and you build your house and they didn't really have real sewage and plumbing. So what they would do is you'd have to build a well and have a septic tank. And so my parents, they had somebody build a well and they brought the crew and they dug a well. They went 50 feet down and they thought they dug into an aquifer, which is an underground river. Instead, they didn't hit an aquifer. They hit like an underground pocket of water. So because they only hit a pocket of water, guess what happened? We ran out of water. It was like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. There ain't no water, all right? And it got violent, too, because there were seven of us, all right? Seven kids, no water, Madera, California, in the summer. Yeah, no, it's, it's like purgatory, okay? Like, you, you know why I'm so passionate about evangelism? Because I grew up in Madera, California without water, all right? I kind of know a little taste of how hot things can get, all right? So that's why we need to get people saved, all right? And so I kid you not, my dad's solution to the problem was let's go buy a 50-gallon tank, and this 50-gallon tank would fit in the back of our Ford 350 van. Now, they don't make these vans like they did then because we had... Seven kids, and my two parents were nine, so we had to go in RV, get the pilot seat, bolted it out, and we drilled it into the back of this van. I know, you're thinking of making this up. I'm not. I'm not. I have family to verify this. And then we'd stick this 50-gallon tank in the back of this van, and we would go to church in Fresno, and then you'd see us after church with the hose. That's up. God bless. What are you guys doing? Getting our water for the week? Like, what are you guys? Little house of prayer. Hey, Paul, we ran out of water. No water in the well. What what in the world, right? And it gets worse because we only had 50 gallons for the week. We had to make do, right? So it was this 50-gallon container. My dad got it really cheap. You know why? They used to transport orange juice in it. So the water tasted like a little essence of orange. Like, you're thinking, that's cool. No, it's not at all. And it was like a grimy orange, so you're like, drinking this water is horrible. And so what we would have to do is we'd take these cups, and I would have to, like, steal water. Some of you stole cookies. You stole money from your parents. I stole water. For real. For real. I would take a cup of water, and I'd hide it. So I had something to drink. Everybody else, it's like the movie The Three Amigos. We're in the desert, and the one Chevy Chase character, he's got all this water, just gargling, spinning in the dirt. Yeah, that was me. That was me. I had water. Everybody else, <laughs> yeah, you took the money. I got the water. What are you going to do now? It's like jo- Joseph or Jacob, you know, trading for his brother's birthright. Yeah, I'll give you two teaspoons of water. Here's what happened. Our neighbor behind us, though, he knew that we went 50 feet down. He sunk his well 100 feet down. He hit the aquifer. You know what he did once he hit the aquifer? He built a pool. A pool in our backyard. I'm like drinking sand. <laughs> you know? And he's got a pool. And he's like, no, no, no. And I, I, I had very bad thoughts. Like, I, I wanted to honestly take a number two pencil and stab him in the eye. It was bad. As he's in the water, you know? It's terrible. Terrible. 
Some of you, you're thinking, I just don't have enough love. And you're right, you don't. God does. God is saying, you're sinking that, your well into the wrong source. You're thinking, if I just have a nice car, then I could be more loving. If I just made more money, then I'll be more loving. And God is saying, unless you sink your well into me, who is the source of love, the Bible in 1 Corinthians says, uh, 13, it says, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest. This is what the church is supposed to have. This is what the church says we have. And there are so many churches, they'll put, we're a loving place. We just love everybody. And then you go there and you walk out and you say, fake news. They're not. I've been to those churches. You've been a part of those churches. They talk about love. They say, we care about you. We love our community. And then you ask what they actually do for anybody. And you step back and you're like, it's fake news. They're walking in darkness. They're blind to the fact that they actually don't love anybody. And I think sometimes we think we could just come to church and we think that's enough. We think we could just give a few bucks in the offering plate and that's enough. We need to do so much more. God has called us to love. God has called us to go and to give. And I feel like too often the church has sunk it in our ability to love. And then I love on Sunday mornings from 1030 to 1130. But God has called us to love seven days a week, 24 hours a day. God has called you to love the lost. God has called you to love the hurting. God has called you to love your spouse. God has called you to love your friends and your family. God wants us to love. He wants the church to be known by love. In 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. If you can cast a mountain into the ocean, he says, you don't have love, you're nothing. We're nothing without love. We can't be a church that says we care about the community and never do anything for the community. And some of you, you clap and I appreciate the clap. Praise God for that. But when are you going to serve? When are you going to show up on a Saturday, 35 people showed up yesterday to serve and to work. You say, oh, hey, you're getting to me now, getting kind of close to home. Yeah, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of you getting up there saying, yeah, I love God. But guess what? You don't because we never see it ever. You just show up and you think this is a good church. Love me some church, but I ain't going to serve Jack. Excuse me. God says you're a liar. You say, oh, we're getting preaching now. It gets quiet. That means the Holy Spirit's working. That's what that means. I don't mind if it gets quiet. I can deal with clapping, and I can deal with no clapping. I'm good. My wife loves me. She thinks I'm hot. I'm good, whatever. I'm good. I'm good. I got my validation. I'm set. But God in his church is tired of it. He's tired of his church getting up and saying, we had a great day at church, and I'm going to go eat some food. And then treat the waiter like crap. Treat your wife like garbage. Treat your kids terrible. Treat your boss like they're a jerk. Treat your neighbors like they're an inconvenience. Aren't you tired of the fake news? Aren't you tired of the fact that you say that you love God, but you look at your life and you're like, man, if I was in a court of law and they had to convict me that I love God, where would the evidence be? Where would it be? You see, hey, there's, it's not a problem with the source. Can we all agree the problem is not the source? Let me close with this. Let's all stand. We put our money in the bank. We put our children in school. We put our cars in the garage. There's containers for everything, right? Where does God put love? Ever thought about that? Where does love go? You take your finger and you point it right here. That's God's container for love. But what we like to do is we like to do this. We like to point at everybody else. The world won't be changed unless we say, I'm God's container for love. 
John's greatest concern was what had started in their heart would never manifest through their hands. Are we just the church that it manifests through? It just, it never gets beyond our hands. It's just in our heart. I love God and we can sing about it. We can praise God, but when are we going to actually say, you know what, I'm going to show the world that I love him. This world needs a living, breathing example. Love does. Love is a verb. Love changes things. Love would stop riot. Love would start a, a revolution. Love would awaken things in our life. You see a land that has a lot of love, that has a lot of laws, you know why that is? Because love stopped. If people started loving, you would see crime go down. If people started loving God, you would see marriages change. If people started loving each other, you would see churches revolutionized. You would see so many things change, and it starts with love. But love seems passe. Love seems too weak. Love seems like a feminist thing. Love seems like a weak thing. But we need to come back to the truth that God says we are to love like he loved, to walk as he walked, to live as he did. And if we don't, we're in darkness. I don't want that for any of you. I don't want it for me. 